It's March 2nd, 2016, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First up today, we'll hear about a couple of upcoming events. Mike Shanahan from the Bishop Museum returns to tell us about the partial solar eclipse coming next week. Then Samantha Kimsey also returns. She's from Computational Thinkers, and she's going to tell us about their upcoming spring break program. And finally, we'll talk to Steve Arabach and Justin Brown and Jack Fuller about a national educational initiative called Computer Science for All. We always welcome your comments and questions as part of that conversation as well, so be ready to call in or send us a tweet after the break. And of course, uh, we want to let everybody know that there is an unconference with a Z coming up. On Saturday. Now, this is an event that you, Bert, have spearheaded and well, led for eight years. Well, you've been involved with it for as long as I've been involved with <laughs> yes, it. Yes, I've been helping as much as I can. But this year is special in a number of ways. Now, first of all, an unconference is an event that tries to turn the typical conference on its head. So no panels you know, filled with sponsors pitching their products, no keynote sessions droning on. In fact, if you come to the unconference, you are just as likely to be speaking as you are to be listening and learning. That's right. I mean, if you have a topic in mind that you want to suggest for people to participate in, you can, you know, very much come in and write that topic down and actually perhaps uh, host a topic. Now, the format is for the most part participatory. So if you're in a session, think of it like a roundtable, mm-hmm. a conversation. People can ask questions, you can answer questions, you can ask, you know, so it's it's really kind of an interaction. And what we want to do is we want to get people to sort of brainstorm, find like-minded individuals, and perhaps even take an idea to the next level. Right now, and almost anything goes, just now we were arguing about Snapchat, so I was like, all right, I'm going to put Snapchat as a possible topic. <laughs> and when people show up, they vote for what topics they want. Could it be Snapchat or drones? Could it be anything else? You never know. So I think it's a great program. And this year, it's also held in conjunction with Code Across, mm-hmm. which is a Code for America National Day of Civic Hacking. That's coders and programmers and developers working on projects that help the community. And it's also going to have an Ignite session where people go up and give very quick, very quick presentations about something they're passionate about. So uh, I think it's a fantastic event. It'll be this Saturday. Um, For the first time, this event is free. And instead of capping participation at 100, I think you're close to 200 now because it's free. We're very close to 200. And if you are interested in joining us, just go to Unconference. That's U-N-C-O-N-F-E-R-E-N-Z dot com and register. And uh, we'll see you there on Saturday. Hope you can make it. Right and early. And, of course, first up, we want to welcome Mike Shanahan from the Bishop Museum, and he's here to tell us about the solar eclipse coming up next week. Welcome to the show, Mike. Uh, Thanks for having me. Great to be here again. Welcome back. Now, these solar eclipses, they happen not so frequently, and and this happens to be one that uh, includes Hawaii in its sort of window of viewing, but it's not a total eclipse, correct? Right. So that needs to be clarified. So Total solar eclipses happen, on average, only about once every year, year and a half or so. Somewhere on Earth. And any given spot on Earth, yeah, somewhere on Earth, any given spot on Earth, on average, sees a total solar eclipse only once every 360 years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We had one here in 1991 in terms of a total solar eclipse here in the Hawaiian Islands. The next one's going to be in 2106 AD in terms of a total Solar I'm eclipse. Sure one oh six. Well, with one exception, I'll mention in a moment. <laughs> okay, actually, okay. one caveat on that. But yeah, so what we have coming up here on March eighth—that's Tuesday—is a partial solar eclipse here in the Hawaiian Islands. About seventy percent of the sun will be blocked out by wow. the moon at the peak around five thirty seven in the afternoon on that Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Now, Mike, what are you planning over there at the Bishop Museum? Are you going to be 
viewing it with uh, any solar telescopes? Or are you going to have people out with their, you know, let's say some protective filters looking at the sun? What do you, what do you guys have in mind? All of the above. So we uh, are doing an eclipse solar viewing experience at the museum from 3 o'clock to 6.30 on Tuesday afternoon and early evening. As always, our friends from the Hawaiian Astronomical Society, they always come out with their mm. big telescopes, and in this case filters, of course, mm-hmm. to do solar viewing on the lawn during that period. And we'll also have our own observatory open. We'll be selling these safe viewing filters for 2 bucks in the gift shop of Vision Museum. A small price to pay to preserve your vision. Well, and every – I'm sorry. You know, I shouldn't – put this down, but every other cheap do-it-yourself way of viewing a solar eclipse is so frustrating to figure out how to do the pinhole projector or the mirror. And so for this two-buck little viewing filter, uh, you can view the sun directly and safely and see it very easily, even if you're trying to show it to a four-year-old. So I'd say spend the two bucks, get the solar viewing filters, come down and join us for the event. Now, uh, Mike, you know, just a suggestion, but you should figure out a way to allow people to mount their iPhones onto the solar uh, telescope because everybody is going to want to take a picture. And if you can get them to, you know, mount it so that it's not, you know, shaky and handheld and trying to get the right uh, um, angle on it, I think you'll get a lot of pictures and I think a lot of people would uh, put it out on social media. Yeah, and a lot of folks will shoot right through the telescope. Yep. And, yeah, right. and, and so you should get good views of that. I think probably at least one of the folks will have a computer screen to, to show the image. Now, how, uh, what percentage is this again for the s- About 70%. So over two-thirds of the sun will be blocked by the moon at the peak. So as an overview, it begins at 4.33 in the, in the afternoon. This is throughout the Hawaiian Islands mm-hmm. on Tuesday, the 8th of March. The peak is at 5.37. Now, it is kind of late in the day, of course, so it's going to be Low only you know, uh, less than two-fifths above the horizon at uh-huh. that point. Well, I definitely have a thought because as a commuter to the west side at that time when the sun is in your eyes, uh, I'm thinking traffic might also be perhaps impacted by the visual splendor of a partial solar eclipse. Well, you no, people are going to be not, like not at all. No, this, no? Is, this is the irony of so- partial eclipses. You'll have no idea oh. there's an eclipse going on. The sun is so insanely bright that as long as any piece of the sun is shining past the moon, as will always be the case it'll on Tuesday, it'll be like a normal day. Unless you have a filter of you in the sun, you'd have no idea there is this cool astronomy event going oh, on. Okay, mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it won't be any factor whatsoever. Uh, the eclipse ends around 6.30, right before uh, sunset. Um, I should mention also this will be a total eclipse in parts of Micronesia and mm. uh, in Borneo and Sumatra. And here's the interesting caveat to my 20. 106 being the next eclipse in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. That's a total eclipse. This eclipse will be total just south of Midway, but it does not pass over any northwestern or main Hawaiian island. Mm-hmm. So the, actually on Tuesday, there will be a total eclipse that almost no one will see because it will be in the oceans off of, uh, of Midway. Well, maybe uh, the folks that we had on uh, uh, Okeanos might be in the and perhaps a cruise ship. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think Oganis may be in town, unfortunately. But no, the no, they, they they're, they're out. They're, they're out there yeah, now? They're out. Okay, yeah. those lucky bums. <laughs> One of my former staff, planetarium producer, is on Okeanis right yeah. now. So it's good to know that actually without knowing it was happening that you might not notice. I remember 1991. I remember I was a junior in high school, I think. Yeah. And it was enough that the animals started, you know, birds started chirping, and it sort of it was it felt like um, late evening for a brief period and then came back, and it was, it was very disorienting. But in this case, you need to be prepared and in a safe and comfortable place to observe it. Well, say, yeah, uh, with safe viewing techniques, uh, 
one advantage of having it at the museum is we have the planetarium, which we discussed in this show in the past, recently renovated. Mm-hmm. We'll be doing planetarium shows throughout this time about why eclipses happen and talking mm-hmm. about what's mm-hmm. happening. But the other cool thing is that we're going to be doing a webcast from Micronesia where the eclipse is going total. And this is one reason why, even though our eclipse doesn't begin until 4.30, it may behoove folks to come in by 3, because at 3.35 is when this eclipse goes total in Micronesia. I see. I and, see. and really that is... Now, this is a fun thing to do, this partial eclipse, but there is nothing in astronomy that compares to seeing a total eclipse of the sun. And if you can't see it live then even seeing it happen on a webcast like we're going to be showing from Micronesia on Tuesday is an awesome sight as the, as the moon entirely blocks the sun and the pale corona Now, will appears. you be projecting this inside the planetarium, or where will the uh, webcast be actually viewed? It'll be in our Atherton Halau, so one of our other oh, okay. theaters. Yeah, we wanted uh-huh. to save the planetarium for doing planetarium stuff and mm-hmm. explaining. But, uh, yeah, so 335, we expect this will be showing the total phase of the eclipse from Micronesia. Uh, I should mention also, it's just really good to plant this seed right now, that if anyone has plans to be in the continental U.S. on August 21, 2017, the first total solar eclipse over the heart of the continental U.S. since, 19, since uh, 1979 uh, is going to be occurring. So you're going to have a total eclipse a year and a half from now. In, in and if anyone has any chance of winding up in the path, it's going to go over Corvallis, Washington. Uh, uh, not Corvallis. Over, yeah, Oregon. Ca- Oregon, yeah. And over Idaho Falls, it's going over uh, Nashville directly. Very if, you, if you take the time to see a total solar eclipse, you will never regret the time or even the money invested. But if you're planning to be in that path a year and a half from now, you mm-hmm. ought to be getting your hotels now because <laughs> this is you know, the eclipse of the century in some cases. So, Mike, this uh, event that's coming up on Tuesday, can people just show up or what's the deal? Yes, uh, they can just show up. So it's included in regular museum admission. We're just going to have the museum open as normal and they just come in. And, well, you know, after having uh, you on the show, I mean, you're going to get thousands of people showing up. We'll see. All two of our listeners, for sure, <laughs> are going to be part of them. Well, you know, in my business, I've been education director and visitor experience director it's often hard to get folks to turn up for things because there's so many other great things to do in Hawaii, especially outdoors. The one exception to that is that we've always had amazing attendance for real astronomy. Folks love that. There's such a connection to astronomy historically and in terms of the research being done. So we well, generally time, get a great turnout. You know, the time that uh, Venus went in front of the, the sun and then you could also watch it with you know, some, some filters, I mean, that was a very popular event as well. Yeah, we had 2,000 people show up for the transit of Venus. It was <laughs> June 5, 2012. Uh-huh. And uh, we had 2,000 people planning term shows every half hour. And we even had a Sousa band playing the Transit of Venus March on campus <laughs> that day that, that John Philip Sousa had comp- composed for a 19th century Venus transit. So I nice. thought, my life is not going to get better than this. this is, you got the music, <laughs> you got the astronomy. Mike, you know how to put on a show. So if somebody <laughs> wanted to find more information about the program next Tuesday, the 8th, at Bishop Museum, where can they go for more information? Uh, just go to bishopmuseum.org. And then we'll have an overview of the Eclipse event there. Very Fantastic. good. Okay. Well, thanks, Mike, for joining us. And, of course, next up is uh, Samantha Kimsey, and she's the CEO of Computational Thinkers. And she's here to tell us about the upcoming uh, spring break events. Welcome to the show, Samantha. Thank you. Thanks for having me back here. Now, Samantha, I just saw you last week at another event, the Hawaii Venture Capital Association Deal of the Year and Entrepreneur of the Year Awards. Yeah. And Boy, there was someone familiar on the stage winning the Social Entrepreneurship of the Year Award, and it was you. Congratulations. Congratulations. We were really surprised about that. It was so nice of the uh, Entrepreneur Foundation of Hawaii to give us that that award, and then by them giving us the award, we were able to give back. So 
we gave half of our funds to the Honolulu Maker Fair, which is coming up in June. So, we're oh, cool. so how does, tell us how does that, I mean, the funds that you got as the award winner, where did that come from? Did that come from EF? EF? Yep, EF gives it, what they're doing is just trying to perpetuate giving and mm-hmm. trying to support the community, and that mm-hmm. was one of their ways of giving out, they created this award. This is the first time this year that they've had it, so they reached out to HP. Okay, and then, and so half of it you gave to the, what, the Mini Maker Fair guys? The or? Honolulu Mini Maker Fair, yep. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they've uh, done it two years in a row. A fellow organization that's yes, invested right. in the young minds and fostering creativity and innovation. Yeah, my our students love going there. So I, I hadn't heard from them, and I got a little worried. It's like maybe it's funding. Maybe we can help them out. Oh, that's good because yeah, fantastic. I've been I, I kind of lost track of when the actual date is, but we'll have those guys on and talk about. It. So yeah, tell us a little bit more about uh, computational thinkers and what's going on, what's going on in this uh, spring break of yours. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for letting me even talking about this because this is our first year of having spring break. We've been going to the schools for years, and we opened up our center in December, and you guys got to have us on. And so starting in March, March the sixteenth, the DOE is going to have their uh, the first day of, of spring break. So we're going to offer a three-day program and a five-day program in spring break. And then um, in on May 31st, we're going to have our summer program. So we're excited about it because this is with the, the Computer Science for All initiative with Barack Obama giving billions of dollars to this whole initiative. We're having a program that is encouraging code is everywhere. So we want to be able to have children come into our, our classroom and not just understand these are our classes and this is stuff we do, but how does it pertain to the rest of the things I do outside of these classrooms? So just as you took algebra in high school, after you took your classes, then you go out to the real world and like, okay, well, I can't really identify an algebra problem if it slapped me in the face. <laughs> so <laughs> we want to make sure that the children know when a computational thinking problem is, is in front of them and they know how to tackle it. So we've partnered with so many people in our community to be able to offer other programs that challenges them to, to, to see how they can use computational thinking with it. And it's not just computer things. It's also like um, CrossFit, circus, jujitsu. Um, drone, uh, drone development, mm. Minecraft, unicycles. So we're trying to make it academic and physical and apply those same concepts through whatever they do. Yeah, and as uh, we mentioned, the latter half of the show, the main segment will also focus on the CS for All initiative. And mm-hmm. I think we're going to have represented from the high school level and the, the college level. But uh, Computational Thinkers, your um, independent uh, academy, what age groups are you specifically targeting? Well, our bread and butter are our elementary school kids. We, we've we already gotten about 30 kids signed up for our spring break program, and our youngest is Four, but early four-year-olds. It's a big difference between an early four-year-old and a later four-year-old. So we got four going all the way up to sixth grade. So that age range for our spring break program. But we do offer other classes, but you don't see too many adults taking spring break. You know, we're gonna like like Ryan said, we're gonna have you know high school and college represented here on the uh, main part of the show, but. Mm Uh, when we talk about computer science for all and, com- you know, looking at maybe curriculum or some lessons for grade school, what would you consider a lesson for, a, a, let's say, a second grader that consists of some computer science? Yeah. Well, t- even today, we, we had our class with what we call our nibbles, and those are our five-year-olds, five- and six-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Just getting them to understand that I can outsource tasks to something else, what we call a function, and have it do it over and over so that we can focus on doing other things. Just that concept alone is a challenge to be able to get kids to understand that, well, yeah, this function will go do it for me, and, and now I'll, I'll write that code again. 
and mm -hmm, just getting mm -hmm. them to understand that that idea of what is a function, what is an algorithm, and once they understand those, then we can eventually translate it into code. But just understanding the fundamental concepts is all we're trying to achieve at this point. Now, one of the things that uh, we are going to ask all of our guests today uh, is, where do you think Hawaii got recognized? How did Hawaii get into that press announcement that uh, President Obama made? Now, um, I've I've already kind of queried everybody, and and we all have hypothetical answers to that question. But I want to I want to ask you, what do you think Hawaii did to get recognized in that press announcement? Well, to be honest, I haven't read the press release. So okay, <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, I've been sorry focusing to, on kids. <laughs> yeah, sorry to uh, spring that on you. Yeah, but we, we tried to yeah. ask the president, but he's not answering your tweet. Yeah, I, I, I tweeted it out, and you know, so I'm I'm trying to wait for his uh, response. Probably being where he spent some of his childhood would 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 be one element. Of well, that. I would I would have thought I would have guessed that you know there was something about the computer science curriculum happening in in some of our DOE schools that might have gotten his attention, but. You know, so I'm glad to hear that. Now, are you seeing more computer science perhaps entering into the grade school levels? I mean, and, and that's one of the things that you're trying to promote, right? Yeah, well, I think part of the problem is is that a lot of people don't think, they don't understand computer science. So like, well, how could my three- or four-year-old understand computer science? That's ridiculous. But it's that's the hurdle is getting the, the adults and the parents to understand that it is possible. Your children can understand these. Just because you don't speak this language doesn't mean that they can understand it. And all we're doing is translating these complicated concepts to something they can understand. So just yesterday we had a class and we, we end our class with a Kahoot, which is like a, I don't know if you've ever played it, but it's a like an online game where you, it's kind of like Trivial Pursuit uh -huh, with games. Uh -huh. And one of the, the moms was picking the kids up a little early and the kids did the Kahoot and the mom won. She beat all of the other students. Like She's like, I listen in on these classes. So it just shows that the parents are starting to really get involved and wanting to understand more about computer science and its relevance to all the ages. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so great. computer science for all and having code everywhere is something we want the kids to understand. So could you give us the dates again for the spring break program? I know we'll probably, I think we'll have you back often as your, your different programs for different school opportunities and schedules come through. But for the spring break program, what are those dates? Yeah, and great. where can people go for more information? Spring break, we'd love to have you. We still have room starting. Starting March the 16th, 17th, 18th. That's a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then the next following week, March 21 to 25. Then our summer break is coming up starting May the 31st, going all the way to August the 5th. Okay. And so people can go to? Go to computationalthinkers.com and click on either classes or sign up. You're ready to go. Fantastic. Very good. Yeah, thank Thanks, Samantha, for thank joining you. us. So and of course, you. we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Steve Arabach, uh, Justin Brown, and Jack Fuller who will tell us about this Computer Science for All program. We've already begun that conversation, but we will further explore why computer science is so important and what that might include and how it can help our students in the future. Of course, we'd love your thoughts, your questions. As part of that conversation, we're here at 941-3689, or you can call toll-free from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689. And, of course, we're also monitoring Twitter. You can tweet us your questions at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. This is ByteMarks Cafe. Hi, this is Ray Cruz inviting you to join me tonight from 8 to 10 for Latin Beat. I'll be playing classic Afro-Cuban Latin jazz, Latin Big Band classics, and share the latest releases in Latin jazz. That's Latin Beat tonight from 8 to 10 here on HBR2, member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. See you tonight. Next time in Studio 360, the singer-songwriter Shilpa Ray combines her love of punk and her classical Indian training on the harmonium to create a sound entirely her own. 
Shilpa Ray performs live next time in Studio 360 from PRI and WNYC. Friday at 4 p.m. following Fresh Air. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Straub Clinic and Hospital and Gourmet Events Hawaii. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today are Steve Arbach, Justin Brown, and Jack Fuller. Steve Arbach is the director over at the Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training and Continuing Ed and Lifelong Learning, and that's over at the Honolulu Community College. And, of course, joining us by phone is uh, Justin Brown, and he's the math teacher, science teacher, robotics guy over at Keala Kehe High School, and he's also... Uh, coordinator of uh, robotics and design thinking coach. Also joining us here in the studio, Jack is an instructor at McKinley High School. He teaches computer programming, mentors robotics, and facilitates STEM works activities. And of course, what does President Obama's announcement mean to Hawaii? And of course, uh, we're going to ask this hypothetical question to all of our guests here. And of course, we'd love your questions and comments. And that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu. Or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We want to welcome you all to Bite Marks Cafe. Thanks for having us. Okay, so I'm going to go around the room. And, uh, you know, I, I, I said this earlier, and I, I, I want to, you know, get your honest answer. He has to get down I gotta to get the it bottom down because, of you know, this question. This is my, this, my, my investigative Hi, reporting, uh, 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 you know, desire to find the answer to this question was, I saw President Obama's announcement. What basically says that the four, he's, he's proposing $4 billion in his budget for this program called Computer Science for All. And I was very taken by that announcement because, you know, that's a big number, number of uh, dollars. And, of course, computer science, that would be an interesting thing. But what really got me was the fact that he actually made reference to several examples. And, and two states that he did mention in his press release was Hawaii and Delaware. Okay? So... I know you folks have all had some kind of uh, involvement with computer science and curriculum in, in your schools, but Steve, have any idea why Hawaii got mentioned in his uh, announcement? You know, uh, Bert, my only uh, hypothesis would be that his connection to Hawaii uh, maybe far removed is he knows I'm an IT guy and I played basketball with him back in the uh, – 80s, and, ah. and maybe there's a connection there. Uh, okay, that's okay. Gotta no, no, that's, that's got to be it. That's got to be it. But, but um, Jack, I want to give you the chance to answer that question. What do you think uh, got Hawaii on that press announcement? Well, the initiative is all about accessibility, and I looked over our ACCN catalog. We offer quite a few different courses. Um, ACCN stands for? Oh, I forget that acronym, okay. but it has to do with the different, uh, the different courses that we offer students. Mm-hmm. And I know we offer it all the way down to the middle school level. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some schools are making an effort to get it in elementary as well, so I'm not sure if maybe that's getting his attention. Well, Justin Brown, you're calling in. I want to welcome you to uh, Bite Marks Cafe. Justin, you're, you're uh, one of the uh, movers and shakers over there on the Big Island. You got any uh, ideas on how Hawaii got on this press press announcement? Yeah, I was at a meeting on Monday, and uh, we had a type of question. Uh, we, I don't think anyone really knows, uh, although Hawaii's done a lot of stuff on social media with its work at code.org and the Hour of Code, mm-hmm. and so some of that stuff might have been picked up by the White House. Okay, okay. Well, Fantastic. That's good. That's Either good. way, we got some love. Yeah, that's great, <laughs> and, you know, we could always use that kind of love. So... What I wanted to talk a little bit about was, uh, you know, from each of your perspectives, what do you see as being 
consider this this sort of initiative of computer science for all? And I know you are all from, for the most part, high school or, or college level. But uh, from your perspectives, what do you think uh, computer science from a curriculum standpoint for all is? Maybe, uh, Steve, you want to start? Well, let me just start with uh, a little bit background on why I think it's so important. Um, and you can read through some of the press release to pick up some of this as well. But, you know, our co- economy is shifting rapidly, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. from uh, analog to digital. And educators and business leaders are increasingly becoming aware that computer science is a new basic for all. Right. And for them to for uh, employees to figure out how to operate in economic opportunity and social mobility, they got to learn more about computer science. The Bureau of Labor Statistics is saying that, you know, there's one point four billion additional IT jobs being created. And by the year 2020, only four hundred million graduates computer science degrees coming out. So there's a huge gap there. And so I think it's increasingly becoming aware that we've got an issue across the nation and then bring it home to Hawaii even better. And certainly Mm -hmm. because that demand is there and there are resources, say, outside of Hawaii and resources outside of our country. Um, If we don't feed that demand, then it's going to be fed in another way. So that's certainly I would agree that these programs are kind of critical. So, so, um, Jack, I mean, what do you think? When when I let's say, took computer science, and that was at the college level, uh, I was not aware in any sort of earlier curriculum of computer science being introduced at the high school or or even the intermediate or grade school. When you think of computer science, what do you consider to be the, you know, sort of the, the courses that might uh, get introduced to at the high school level? Um, so they have the opportunity at certain schools. We don't offer all of these. Um, they can take database fundamentals, database control and functions. There's specialized programming. I teach the computer programming AB. Um, I also teach a course called STEMWorks where students get to do community projects, um, and they try to bring in aspects of STEM, so that can include programming as well. And then, of course, we have the AP courses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Justin, I mean, what's, what's your thoughts? And, and Justin, can you help me differentiate what, uh, let's say, computer science might be versus IT yeah, certainly. So I, I think, you know, a lot of people think about coding in more of this classical sense of the language. But, you know, we do a lot of work with the younger kids mm-hmm. as far as even first, second, and third graders into what it means to put together a program. I like what your earlier guest talked about, you know, getting a computer to do what you want it to do and letting that solve a task for you. So I think when we start getting into IT, we're looking at how the way software um, programs and different infrastructure within your computer can work together. Um, but the actual programming is, is really just like uh, kind of being like a, an artist. You're creating something. And the skills for programming have kind of left the classical um, object-based languages. They're moving a lot more into um, picture-based programming. You can start with the first and second grader. I know a lot mm-hmm. of schools are using things like Scratch, Alice, Code.org with their elementary kids to get the, the basics of Boolean logic and functions and commands into the thought process of the students. And uh, do you see this uh, permeating throughout the, let's say, you know, the entire grade level? I mean, when we talk about computer science for all, I mean, how many students are actually getting exposed to this? Well, I think that's going to be the really critical issue that I think everyone who's listening into this program and all of us on the panel here care a lot about. I mean, right now, certainly through robotics or uh, activities, um, I also work with the STEMWorks program. It's a great opportunity, but again, it's not serving more than 3 or 4% of the state. So the question is going to be, if 
you know, this type of computer literacy is becoming a basic workplace skill. What are we doing within the Department of Education to make sure that every single kid has this computer literacy? Uh, you know, 28 states, according to Code.org, have adopted computer science as a graduation requirement. Uh, Hawaii hasn't done that yet. And so, you know, already our economy exists almost completely on computer code, but so many people don't know how to read and write it. And it's going to be really important that we make sure it's not just the honors kids or the kids who are kind of have an affinity for that anyways, but that every kid has access to it and the ability to see that they can create uh, beautiful, effective, efficient uh, things within the computer world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Steve, for PCAT, I know that, you know, uh, at Honolulu Community College, it's it's complementary to a number of other vocational programs. But I would say that for a lot of people, they kind of put it in a narrow box. They put it in a specific kind of career pathway training. Um, so I wanted to hear your thoughts about the concept of computer science for all, because that's going beyond saying if you're interested in computer science, there are opportunities for you versus, I think, a significant shape in thinking that says computer science is part, as you mentioned, of what we feel are core skills to have right there alongside reading and writing and arithmetic, for example. From the PCAT perspective, uh, do you see that as a, as, as a great opportunity? It's obviously going to also be a challenge to almost break out of the box that many people put you in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what we're doing is, from an outreach standpoint, starting this early. So I've got this philosophy that if we can engage students early and often, K to 8, mm-hmm. right? And so we're doing some outreach activities. We've got a camp called Gen Cyber. It's mm-hmm. uh, basically educating students in a fun way, exposing them to cybersecurity principles. And in that camp, they're learning, ba- learning basic coding, networking, forensic, cryptology, fun activities. There's a scavenger hunt. Um, in fact, we're, we just got funding from NSF. We're going to do that the week of June uh, 6th to 10th this year, hosted at Honolulu Community College with the University of Hawaii uh, system. But it's a fun environment. The students start learning at an early age. And how early can they get involved with GenCyber? So we're going to do, interesting enough, this uh, year we've got funding to do teachers at the K-8 to level and then students at the 9th to 12th level, public and private school, um, homeschoolers as well. And really the intent is to get them engaged learning about the principles in a fun environment. Mm-hmm. And I think the whole ar- archaic IT thought, if we can make it more fun environment early and often, we're going to get more exposure, hopefully raise the capacity, not only the educators, but the students, and get them into these computer science jobs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And have you seen the uh, sort of the involvement, the engagement, the, the sign-up for this program, uh, you know, enthusiastically being in, you know, embraced by all the kids? Yeah, uh, great, great question, Bert. We uh, unfortunately don't have unlimited funds for from the grant from NSF. Uh, we've got 130 spots. Uh, this hit the web on Monday of this week. Uh-huh. We've already got 50 interested parties, uh, students and teachers. Uh, this will be a statewide camp. Uh, we will have a camp on Maui uh, for high schoolers. We will fly uh, people from the Big Island in Kauai to dorm them at the Manoa campus and be a part of uh, the high school camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and so large turnout so far, and um, surprisingly, um, uh, it's, it's great news. That's great. That's great. Now, Jack, at the high school level, um, we're talking a lot about this continuum from even computational thinkers working with younger students to elementary, uh, intermediate schools, and then up through high school and now to college and certainly in the end, careers. Uh, how do you see right now um, versus what maybe the cs for all vision is? What is your assessment of kind of that continuum, that cooperation between schools that send students to you and then the schools that you are going to be sending students on? Um, 
is it challenging? Is it working well, uh, or is it something something in the middle? Um, well, it's kind of tough. My background is not purely in computer science; um, it's actually in physics. But I was able to kind of step in and take this over because we didn't really have um, any qualified teachers in this field at our school. Unfortunately, though, I'm unable to meet the demand. Next year, I'm looking at 43 students who want to take my class all in one period. Otherwise, I have to sacrifice like a different STEM class, a different engineering class to, uh, to meet that demand. So we, re- I think we really need more training uh, for teachers and a, a way to bring in people with a stronger background. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Jack, you, you brought something up that uh, kind of uh, piqued my interest. You said that you came in with a physics background, but uh, there was nobody to really pick up on this curriculum. What was it that was happening at, the, at McKinley High School that created this opportunity for a teacher to step in with computer science background? Um, was it there, was there, you know, like a... This, this new course was being offered or the, you know, the administration said, hey, we want to get students into computer science. What was it that took place that made you try to now have the opportunity to fill that gap? So we were already offering the course. Um, the, the lady that taught it, though, had retired. Okay. And so the other people uh, who would have taught it otherwise had experience in some older languages like Fortran and stuff, and it had been quite a while since they'd taught it. Um, so I'd started out as a computer science major and so that was qualification enough where I could kind of jump in and teach mm-hmm, myself mm-hmm. as I went. So how long was this this uh, program already going on with this teacher that retired? Um, for quite a while? Yeah, for quite a while, at least okay. as long as I've been there. Uh-huh. Now, Justin, what's the picture like uh, on the Big Island or with the communities and schools that you are working with as far as resources and ability and capacity? Well, I, I think, you know, we're really happy that this year we're offering AV Computer Science. Um, at our school, Kalakea High School, and it's something that we know there's a lot of students that, that want, and we work with a lot of the middle schools and elementary schools that are doing it, but I think Jack's point is absolutely right. You know, when we look at the new paradigm for teaching computer programming, there are a lot of DOE teachers who could do an excellent job at it that need that training and support, and I think we also need to find a way to make the, the climate welcoming to all the wonderful programmers that we have. In our community, there's a real startup um, industry within programming and what can we do from a DOE systems perspective to invite these people in and let them be the true resources and, and have the educators um, kind of facilitate some of the, the paperwork and those types of, you know, learning modality stuff. But, but let these experts in the field do it because computer science is something that I think we need every single student to, to lead with a good foundation in, and that's going to require the entire community stepping up. So, uh, Justin, you know, Having the ability or capability to offer a, a AP computer science course, I mean, that, uh, if I recall, you know, AP, let's say chemistry or AP physics, I mean, there were probably a good three or four classes prior to that AP class that you could take that builds your ex, you know, expertise so that you can then take that AP, uh, let's say, physics class. What is it that's a precursor to AP computer science? Well, I think, you know, there's actually two AP computer science courses, and I think both Jack and in our school, most of the schools are teaching the traditional um, computer programming, computer science. But the AP has offered a new course called um, AP Computer Science Principles, which is a really exciting class that they think is a class for every single student. And they have curriculum that they're putting out online. Um, and for that one, it's just basic algebra. Um, I think, you know, in the class, uh, the regular programming, the computer science A class, it's, you know, you need a pretty good understanding of math. Um, there's not so much chemistry or physics that's needed, but some really disciplined study happens and the ability to kind of uh, 
exist in that, that kind of traditional world of computer science. And computer science principles, which is also an AP class, um, it's really opening up the kids to create things. It's kind of a portfolio project based class. And that's something that I think any student who's gone through algebra one should be able to take if they have the right type of instructor. So with, uh, with uh, you know, the completion of an AP computer science class, does the student now have, let's say, college equivalent uh, credits that, that they could apply uh, you know, when they go to get their bachelor's degree? Well, certainly if they pass the AP exam. Um, so the computer science, depending on the college, will take between three and eight credits. Um, different colleges will take different levels. And so uh, that's an exciting thing because it's kind of an economic booster and an incentive for the kids. Mm-hmm. Very good. So, Steve, I mean, are you familiar with AP, AP computer science? And how does that kind of play into the, the community college uh, Environment. Yeah, you know, for the student to get a score of a three to five, typically on the university, they'll accept those as credits, right? Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm, so it's right. very, very important that they uh, go through a rigorous program at the high school level and, and come out with that uh, AP exam in, in the three to five range, and then that will articulate to credits at the at a university. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a great program. The other program that's very exciting too is early college program. So high schoolers actually taking classes at their home institution and starting to earn college credit so they can accelerate their degree uh, pursuit. Mm-hmm. I definitely want to talk a little bit more about these specific uh, courses and materials available and, and how they, these programs can be expanded perhaps now with this initiative at the national level. But uh, uh, before our break, Steve, um, I did want to ask a little bit more about the professional development side. I see that that need and that hunger for teachers. to they, they want to support their students in this way and provide this knowledge in this way, but they need to be able to have their own training. So uh, from either PCAT specifically or just broadly, um, how would you assess the availability for if I were a student at Mililani Wayne Elementary and I said, you know what, I, I kind of want to at least have these principles in my mind so I can include them in some of the curriculum I'm already teaching. Um, what are those resources now? What is available now? Yeah, there's a couple of avenues. Um, so within the PCAT uh, operation, there's certainly uh, non-credit continuing education uh, offerings, uh, programming, database administration, networking, um, project management, the mm-hmm. list goes on, data sciences, the list goes on. Uh, specifically for the computer science uh, pursuit. Um, outside of uh, PCAT, you've, you've got other uh, activities. Dev League um, has a great opportunity for people who really want intensive coding. Uh, we're also spinning up uh, through a grant through the Department of uh, Labor, an IT apprenticeship uh, program that basically the, across four verticals, networking, coding, uh, project management, and DBA, you actually can get in class and ha- on on the job training to actually work from an apprentice to a journey worker. No, does this uh, is this also consistent with? I think you've mentioned to me the ICT, the the information computer technology initiative that I think uh, uh, the you know the university wants to get more people into. Yeah, absolutely. So we're trying to wrap arms around that arms around that one. See if we can't uh, um, put a program. Um, together, less less about a concentration, more about a program. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's some heavy lifting uh, that has to take place, um, but we're working on it. Um, certainly fits within the STEM area that uh, John Rand is leading uh, at the university system. Uh, and so there's uh, some great minds working on it. Uh, we but just don't have differ- a formal program. This differs from what you had just described. I mean, is this sort of a different pathway? It would be, yeah, it would be different. Mm-hmm. So you have an I- ICT. Um, uh, 
program instead of a uh, uh, credential. Mm-hmm. And Jack, as a teacher yourself, and certainly, again, wanting to be able to provide more knowledge uh, from your perspective um, for professional development, is there a continuing education kind of program and an element for teachers like you? And is computer science something that you're either starting to see or have available to you if you want to grow your skills to serve your students better? Um, so I found the best resources are actually our partners in industry. Um, our mentors for the robotics team have been great. They've been teaching um, me and the students C++. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been teaching Java this year because that was my background before. Um, and even in kind of setting up my course for this year, my Cyber Patriot mentor, uh, who's a software engineer, has, has really helped me there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, when you start to see – well, actually, I, I think maybe we'll save that question for when we return because – Uh, We want to hold that, and we will be back after this short break to continue our conversation with Justin Brown, uh, Steve Auerbach, and Jack Fuller about uh, Computer Science for All initiative. How do you replicate this initiative across different schools? Of course, we'd love to hear from you. If you've got thoughts, you can call 941-3689 from Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands you're listening to, Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Stephen Dubner. On the next Freakonomics Radio, we imagine a world in which there's no alcohol or marijuana, and then suddenly, they're both discovered. I suspect alcohol would be banned within 10 years if it became available today. If marijuana was discovered today, I think people would probably accept it. Alcohol versus marijuana, that's next time on Freakonomics Radio. Thursday evening at 7, following With Good Reason. Members of PAC Kids, students from ages 7 to 17 from all over Oahu, perform music from current Broadway musicals and show choir tunes and recently took their show to Orlando for a performance at Disney World. We'll hear from artistic director Megan Olson tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And we're talking to Jack Fuller and Justin Brown, as well as Steve Auerbach, about the CS for All initiative and teaching computer science in Hawaii schools. And of course, if you have an interest in computer science uh, and you want to pose a question to our panel, that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And right before the break, I was about to ask this question and I, I will get my chance to ask it right now. And Jack, so as we try to get more students into or exposed to computer science, there is going to be a tremendous demand for teachers much like you. And given the fact that, you know, you were in the right place at the right time to sort of fill this gap to provide this this uh, course that you're providing now, I can see where at some point in time there may be a need for two or three or four of you <laughs> over at McKinley and perhaps even replicated across all the high schools in, in Hawaii. I mean, how do you see that happening, and do you see that happening in reality? Um, well, some of the funding for this initiative, if you read through it, is, is supposed to go towards um, sustainable programs where teachers uh, will teach other teachers how to code and how to implement that in their classes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm not sure how exactly they're going to set that up or how the funding is going to help out with that. Mm, okay. Um, it is a possibility, though, if we got the right structures in place. Right. Now, uh, Justin, uh, over in uh, Kealakehe, I mean, you're a great guy. You got a lot of energy. You're super smart. How are they going to re- replicate guys like you? Well, I think one of the things that we have to look at is part of it might be that it doesn't necessarily need to have a traditional teacher setting. Um, I mean, people are learning how to code all over the world right now through amazing resources, Code.org, Coursera, um, the MOOCs. Uh, and so, so what does it look like for the DOE to kind of teach people how to be facilitators of online learning environments and have, you know, maybe a complex area coding specialist to get this into more kids? Because mm-hmm. right now the kids can learn this stuff faster than the teachers can. And so I think we really have to kind of take a step back and say, well, maybe teachers need to be facilitators, opening kids up to this knowledge, and then they run with it at a really high level on their own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we're talking to Jack Fuller from McKinley High School, Justin Brown from Kealakehe, and Steve Arbach from PCAT over at Honolulu Community College. We're talking about computer science for all, and of course, if you have a comment or question, feel free to give us a call. Number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We want to welcome Carol from Honolulu to Bite Marks Cafe. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. So do you have a question for our esteemed panel here? Uh, yes, I do. Um, my my degree in computer science is from way back in the 80s, uh, 1985, 86. So the languages I learned were COBOL and RPG. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to think of a, a good way to get myself up to speed for the current market, and I'm wondering if you have some advice. I, I think well, we a, might. That's a great question. And, of course, uh, uh, I know Steve probably has some ideas on, on uh, some courses that he offers over at PCAT or at HCC. But, you know, another one that, uh, Steve, you also mentioned was Dev League. Dev League is a, okay. a uh, uh, operation that uh, provides an intensive. Maybe, Steve, you want to you share a little bit about what Dev League does? Yeah, there's a couple good avenues. The PCAT operation, you can do Java, C++, uh, Python. Yeah. Uh, DevLeague is an accelerated program, um, gets you out in a very intensive manner. Um, there's also online tools, Code.org, okay. which is mentioned earlier. Um, there's an event here in Hawaii that's led by Pi Hawaii. Uh, it's a user's group. Look that up. They have all kinds of activities, free activities. It's a group that comes together hands-on, and you are, will apply some of those skills. You've already got the knowledge because you've learned the basics with Fortran yeah. and COBOL. It's a matter of just hooking up with some of the user groups and some of those other avenues I mentioned. No, that's a great that's a great point. You know, the Pi Hawaii guys. Uh, if you're interested in some, you know, one of the uh, very very um, um, often used program in in the web nowadays is Python. And Python, the the Pi Hawaii guys will take you from a a novice level to you know doing some very interesting work. And they meet, I think, every Wednesday over at the Sullivan Center over at Iolani. But I'll post the website up on our show notes uh, and you can go check that out. It's, it's Pi Hawaii. I think PiHawaii.com. Now, Karen, I'm using Carol as a wonderful example. Um, she has background in CS and that's not that long ago. I remember a COBOL myself. Thank you very much. Um, but isn't it true that some of the, as you had mentioned, I think, some of the principles in computer science that you le- you've learned since the advent of computer science are still valid, still useful. And in fact, it's the language that changes, but the frameworks and the models, there's a lot that she can still build upon to, to, to learn the talents and the skills that people are using today, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I think she's already got the building blocks. Um, it's a matter of you know, learning more about 
Python, if that's an interest area. And, and Bert said it's a, it's a very common for government and private industry today. Um, but she's already got the building blocks. I think she can step forward, uh, no problem. And that's why I mentioned earlier, we want to get the kids early and often talk about computational thinking, playing games, you know, putting puzzles together. They can figure out some of the, the, the building blocks so they can then pick this up as they get older and, and then get more maturity. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Carol, for that uh, that call. That was, a, that was a great one. And, of course, you know, like Steve says, I mean, there are everything from free offerings to very intensive, you know, get your – Get your uh, chops going with the programming with the Dev League guys. So there's all kinds of things that you could choose from. Now, Steve, you brought up a good point and, and this idea of, of you know, puzzles and, and using blocks. And I mean, how does that relate to computer science? I mean, what is it that you can do at that early, early level? I mean, I know, I know Ryan's kids are getting into Minecraft uh, programming. And so, so walk me through that learning experience. Yeah, it's it basic, right? It's fun. It can be some competitive uh, nature to it as well, which we're all in, it's in our DNA, human mm-hmm. behavior. Um, but you can pull things off of the web. You can buy books at Barnes and Noble. There's all kinds of resources for early um, computational type activities. And I would start with the basics of uh, math skills and um, putting puzzles together and. Uh, the, then get progressing to the Minecraft and some of those other uh, activities just to broaden their experience. Mm-hmm. Now, you were mentioning earlier that uh, you see the new economy, the new, the 21st century uh, requirements needing this kind of expertise. I mean, what do you envision having to give something else up in order to have this sort of computer science skill be now offered? No, I think the way that uh, we're all learning and growing and evolving, that it's uh, not an either, it's an and. Um, and I think uh, we're going to be able, with our capacity and the way we're learning and growing, uh, be able to do uh, additional incremental well, activities. What about, what about the artists in the audience or the poets in the audience? What, what's going to happen to literature if we concentrate all this energy on computer science. I would argue you'd want to have both. I think there's I, the I art, and, sci- I think, there's I think the art and science both. part of it, right? And I think uh, to be a true, great computer science person, you've got to think the other side too, the qualitative side, mm-hmm. artistic mm-hmm. side, right? Be able to communicate the soft skills, all that. If you're just hard skills in a networker or a coder and don't have those people skills and the soft skills and how to influence others and work in a team and not create and think on your feet, you're not going to be successful. Now, um, Jack, and I also want to hear uh, from Justin as well, um, in the specific class that you teach, uh, as Bert mentioned, my own kids are interested. They're pursuing their own path. One's a Minecraft builder who, when I watch him work, he's fluent in that language, even though I don't understand it. Meanwhile, my youngest, 11, decided to pick up OS, o, uh, iOS programming and just did free tutorials online and got way further than I ever did paying for materials. Um, so perhaps you can share in your class with your students um, an example of a lesson or something where you saw that light go off that you said, okay, so this you, you, you felt uh, validated in that this is a valuable thing for the students that you work with. Is there a, is there a lesson or a class uh, that you're working right now that kind of showed you the value and perhaps even the passion that you can arise and uh, bring up in students? Um, sure. I have one student. He's very intelligent, um, but he doesn't – he didn't try in many of his classes. Um, I went to a meeting for that student. He was a – he had a perfect grade in my class. He did everything perfectly. Um, 
So he loved computational thinking and whatnot, but he didn't like to apply it in the other context. So getting to see it in a computer programming context really seemed to help him. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a lot of students, the, the assignments I give are very open-ended. I tell them they have to use a certain tool in the programming language to do the assignment, but they get to complete whatever they'd like to. So I see a lot of them going on there, and they're doing their math homework by creating a computer program that will do it for them. Um, so it's really, it's really fantastic to see how they can apply it to these outside problems and use it to kind of automate things in their life and make their life simpler. That's kind of the whole point. Mm-hmm. And uh, Justin? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think we can all think of students who really get turned on by this. I have a similar student who, you know, a lot of potential, but was struggling in a lot of classes and recently through the computer science and robotics uh, curriculum, he started doing some individually addressable LEDs and we got into some Arduino work and some work mm. with the Jetson processor, and he's made this really cool panel of, I think it's over a 1,000 LEDs that he can address and get it to show him where things are in a target sensor. And, you know, it's one of those things where he's doing a whole lot more work than we ever would have asked for or could ask for, but he gets obsessive about it. And I think, you know, there's just a small number of basic building blocks that once they have, I think all of computer science is, is a beautiful expression of language, and it fits really well for artists and creatives. And more and more, we're going to move away from syntax into a place where anyone that has a great idea and knows a little bit of basics can be able to use computers to, to get that out to market. So, so Justin, uh, if you had encountered a, a student at school and, and they were very well versed at, uh, let's say, Art, painting, you know, maybe doing some ceramics, maybe, you know, just sort of the, the, the creative capacity for that student was, was, was very high in, that, in those uh, types of art fields. How would you encourage them to perhaps take a course in computer science? Well, I think when you start showing them that they can create virtual worlds, virtual worlds built upon some basic logic principles, and uh, but still working with the kind of creative visual things that might appeal to them. So if they work in Unity or even at the basic level, something like Scratch or Alice, um, it's really going to be about um, storytelling and connecting users to intuitive commands to, to build a world and tell a story. It can either be through a video game or it can be kind of through an interactive video. And both of those are empowered at a high level um, by just some basic um, computer programming things. And I think when they see that, hey, you know, art and, and programming, computational thinking, uh, have a real nexus at a high level. It's something that, that might kind of incentivize them to develop their skills. Yeah, well, Justin, oh, I can see, you know, it's almost universal, and I think anyone who's been a kid, which would be everybody, or mm-hmm. people with kids, whether it's Lego or, or paper craft, the telling stories and creating scenes and creating worlds is what childhood is about, and putting the tools in front of them. You know, my, my son is was, built a model of the Titanic in Minecraft, and it is almost scale, as far as I can tell. Every, <laughs> I was like, I cannot believe you invested that time. But, you know, I, I can certainly see what you're saying. Now, Steve, at the college level, you know, I think I can even imagine, even at a practical level, some people might enroll in a program at PCAT because they say, hey, I'm doing this job, but I want to have a higher level pay. I want to support my family more. So I feel that this is where the growth is. But uh, I, I, I should have I put the question to you, too. What do you see in your classroom or with your students that is not that it's more than just that, that it's more than just getting this network administrator job, but it, it sets off uh, sparks that can go to other places in life? Yeah, I think it comes back to the exposure as well. Once they're in the industry, whether it's private or government, uh, an opportunity to continue to learn, be a lifelong learner. And whether they're a networking um, guru it's an opportunity for them to start thinking about, wow, maybe I want to go into database administration. Maybe I want to go into data analysis, right, and have that exposure 
I think they've already developed, and we see it when they come through our programs, the aptitude, the passion, the attitude for them to then progress towards or progress towards another area, and whether it be data sciences. And we're seeing more in data science and data analysis today, and um, it's a growing area. Um, and I see a logical extension for people that have been coding or networking to move to data analysis, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Steve, you know, the, 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 of course, the million-dollar question is that, you know, just like STEM, we can get computer science for all. We can get all our students uh, well-educated and prepared for the workforce. I want to hear from you what you see as being the workforce development part or the opportunity for kids to actually get a job here in Hawaii in these fields. I mean, are we, are we meeting that demand? I mean, we're going to we're going to have all these kids coming out with very, you know, very good degrees and, and very, uh, very equipped to take on some of these new jobs. Are the jobs going to be ready for them? Like I said when I opened the, the conversation, by 2020, there's, you know, an additional 1.4 million, in this Bureau of Labor Statistics quoting this, 1.4 million additional IT jobs. By 2020, only 400 million Students graduated with computer science degrees. How do you break that down for Hawaii? Now, looking in Hawaii. So one of the things, when I went out and talked to industry and and private and government, they have current openings in computer science, specifically cybersecurity. I'll talk Mm -hmm, about that mm -hmm, for a minute. mm -hmm. They do not have enough skilled workers here in Hawaii to fill the current requirements for security. And I know of employers that are looking for entry-level, basic understanding of computer science, and they will help them with security clearances. Hmm. They'll help them with, you know, continuing education. And we're building this cybersecurity workforce initiative across the system to help build that capacity and fill those jobs. There will be continuing to be jobs here in Hawaii for computer science. Sounds good. Where can we go to find out more info about PCAT? PCAT.org. Or another uh, uh, link that you want to look at because it's timely is gencyber-hi.org to learn okay. more about teacher and, and student learning and security. Fantastic. Great. Now, um, Justin, is there a place that people can go to learn more about your great work? Uh, yeah, calcarobotics.org. We run the summer programs for kids so they can learn how to code and, and look at some of the work that, that our kids have been putting up over the last several years in computer science and STEM in general. Good, Fantastic. very good. And and Jack? Uh, McKinley, uh, McKinleyhs.k12.hi.us. Very good. And we'll have those links on our show notes at bitemarkscafe.org. And, of course, Steve Arbach is the director of PCAT. Justin Brown teaches math and science and all, everything STEM over at Kealakehe High School. And, of course, Jack Fuller teaches computer programming over at McKinley High School. We want to thank you all for joining us today. Thank, Thank you, you for, for having us. us. <laughs> this has been great. Yeah. Very good. Go great code, guys. everyone. Go code. All right. Yes, code, everyone. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk to some of the winners of the recent HPCA Entrepreneurial Award. And, of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can uh, email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. And, of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chung, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And you, we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's John Schofield, who's now performing over at the Blue Note, and a song called Hot and Tot. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Bite Marks Cafe.